Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend of mine asked if I would record myself reading one of my novels as something they would find comforting and familiar in the midst of the uncertainty and anxiety of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'll be reading to you from Perishables, the first book in my five-book urban fantasy and vampire series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka FalstaffBooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y, slash Perishables link. That goes to Amazon. Thanks. Hey, this is Michael. So, let's get into the seventh installment of me reading to you from Perishables. First, let me make sure that I've got the right sound input chosen. I do not have the right sound input chosen. Hmm, okay. So there we go, that's the right microphone, and it looks like it is picking up sound, so let's do this. Let me click over to that window. Like I said, the first time and probably a couple of times since then, I'm doing this as a very rough shod, um, what if we were in the same room and you were just attending a reading that I'm doing at a con kind of experience, which means it's gonna be pretty organic, which means they're gonna be a bunch of mistakes and I'm gonna stumble over things and stuff like that and you're just gonna have to cope. I hope that it enhances the experience rather than distracts from it. And I have to say, reading through this, I would desperately love to edit this book again, but c'est la vie, that is just the way it goes. So anyway, if you're in the seventh installment also, you don't need me to catch you up on the story, so I'm gonna skip that part. <clears throat> I have poured my big glass of red wine, which I feel is only appropriate to doing a reading from a vampire novel. And now I'm going to have a big sip of it. Mm. Oh yeah, it's definitely better even on the second sip. Better do three just to make sure. Okay. All right. Now I think I'm ready. My eyes snapped open the moment the sun dipped behind the horizon and the last of its light left the world. My sleep was uneasy. When I'm at home, I can sleep well past sunset if I let myself. I was always a deep sleeper, and some of that quality remained after the big flush. These were unusual surroundings, though, uncomfortable and cold and quiet in a way other than the usual quiet of my own home. The hum of the central air was different, the white noise of electronics. As soon as my eyes opened and I remembered why I was in someone else's bathroom, I rose and rubbed my eyes and clicked my cheeks. Smiles barked once in response from the other side of the door. So far, so good. I smoothed my hair down as best I could, poked around in the drawers and cabinets, and found a little bottle of mouthwash. I swigged it, spat it in the sink, and splashed some water on my face. Then I yanked the towels out from under the door and opened it. 
Smiles licked my fingers and panted happily, and I listened down the hall, down the stairs, to check for indicators of how the day had gone. Nothing. I walked out into the hall to the top of the stairs, put my hand on the railing, and started to descend. There was a quiet gasp from the living room. I guessed at least one of them had managed to survive the day. When I got to the bottom, they were all awake and alert. They were even eating leftovers from the night before. Mary Lou looked at me for a long second at the end of the others, and I followed her gaze. They were all staring at me like they'd seen a ghost. I told them what you did on your patrol, Mary Lou said. The cops figured out your code pretty quickly. They said... She paused and cleared her throat. We're the best organized neighborhood they've seen so far. They were very grateful. There was something in the tone of her voice when she said, grateful. And after a second, I got it. The cops were grateful. Mary Lou was grateful. But someone wasn't, and she was trying to rebuke them like a mother in front of company. The rest of you want me out. I stated it as an epilogue to her update. Kathy and Herb wouldn't look at me. Franklin looked to Mary Lou, then back. I met his gaze. You specifically want me out. Fair enough. It's your house. Well, uh, <laughs> Franklin did that same little verbal tick again. It's not that we aren't great. I didn't let him finish. You're glad to be alive, but scared that I'm more dangerous than anything I might have saved you from. You don't know what I am, and that terrifies you. Well, welcome to the human fucking race, I said. Ain't nothing new that hadn't scared us shitless. Trust me. I remember a lot more of this world than you do. I can't believe you'd say us. Kathy murmured. I glanced at her and looked back at Mary Lou. Fuck this, I said. I appreciate the use of your bathroom. I appreciate you doing like I asked and not messing with me during the day. I appreciate the food from last night. And now I'm going the fuck home because I don't appreciate being talked to like that. I'll see you out, Mary Lou said. She stood up and walked to the front door, threw back that makeshift bolt I'd had them put on, turned the knob and walked out ahead of me. I pulled the door shut behind me. Give me a cigarette, she said. I raised one eyebrow, then nodded at her. She'd changed clothes, taken a shower, done her hair, put on makeup. Mary Lou was getting back to normal real fucking fast compared to the rest of the sad sacks in there. Jeremy was still catatonic and the rest were barely moving. I held out my pack, open, and then lit her cig and followed it with one of my own. They gonna do me any harm? I asked. Mary Lou laughed quietly under her breath. I thought you could take them, she said. That I can, I replied, does not in fact mean that I want to. Okay, that's something. She wouldn't look me in the eye, but that had made her think. We smoked in silence for a minute, then I said, so, what's the state of things? The news has no idea what these things are. I mean, everybody knows, but no one's going to come out and say zombies. I watched Little Fox for a laugh. They think it's an elaborate terrorist attack. It was contained to just a few places, as far as they can tell. The city's mostly been swept clean. They said on the 6 o'clock news that most of them were found in graveyards, obviously, but they hadn't gone anywhere. They were, ho they were hostile, but not purposeful. The estimated toll is pretty high, but it's not like half the city is gone. Mary Lou nodded her head towards the back of the neighborhood. It turns out the park back there used to be a graveyard. And the contractors didn't move the bodies when they got paid to move them, I finished for her. Happens all the time. Mary Lou nodded, shrugged. 
Nothing's open. The governor and president declared states of emergency. No one is going to work. No one should go anywhere except for emergency supplies, that kind of thing. She shrugged half-heartedly. It's starting to sound less like an attack by the walking dead and more like a really bad hurricane. She laughed suddenly and shook her head. It's fucked up. Can you believe they handled zombies better than they handled Katrina? Hell, yes I can. A bunch of white folks in suburbia? The government's quick to help us, I am sure. I sighed and stubbed out my cigarette on her front step, then lit another. That's good, though. The people are thinking of it that way. The sooner people would just file this away in their brains as something bizarre but temporary, the sooner we can get back to normal. Mary Lou finished her own cigarette in silence, then put it out very delicately, and while she was doing so, picked up the butt of mine and stuck them both in her pocket. I'll take them in, she said. So here she was, even making sure I didn't litter in her yard. I guess she'd be okay after all. But, she went on, about going back to normal. I nodded and stuck my thumb towards the inside of her house. They're all still wigged out. Yeah, uh, about me. She nodded. I can fix it, you know. I sighed and rode my free hand through my hair. That would be a good thing, Mary Lou said. All right, I'll need to see each of them one by one, and they'll need to go straight home when I'm done with them. Including Franklin, she said. At first I thought she was asking me not to put her husband in a more agreeable frame of mind, but she wasn't. She was requesting that I be sure to include him. I nodded. And you? No, she said. That's the other condition. I'll put them out here on the stoop with you one at a time, and I'll keep them busy so the rest don't notice, and in return, you let me remember. I chewed my thumbnail, blew smoke through my nose, and then nodded. Okay. She went back inside and sent Ken out first. He walked out carrying a broom. I had no idea how she'd convinced him to go sweep her front step, but I had a, but I had folded myself into the corner behind the front door, the porch lights off. And when he stepped out, I reached around, gripped his shoulders, spun him, looked him deep in his terrified eyes, and made it all better again. A minute later, he was walking down the street, entirely certain that we had spent that we had all spent the night and the day hiding and protecting one another. That I'd gone out and checked on a few houses, yes, and that I had slept all day because I'd been up all night on guard duty, but that there was nothing remarkable about me at all. Then Kathy, then Franklin, whom I ordered to go upstairs and go to sleep. Then the new kid, Jeremy, who was starting to come out of the catatonic state and looked terrified of all of us. I sent him back inside to go to sleep, too. And then I walked back in the front door. Mary Lou was standing there with the gun, and she shook her head when I started to reach for her shoulder. This wasn't the deal, she said. You said you wouldn't mess with my head. I lied. I'll shoot you. Won't matter, except it'll be a shame to lose this t-shirt after all those years. I'll shoot your dog. I cocked my head at her and made a pfft noise. Won't matter, except it'll piss him off real bad. I pushed some blood around so that the world slowed down, reached out in a blur too fast for her to see, and took the gun from Mary Lou's hands, shoving it between the cushions of the couch. From her perspective, I knew the gun would simply have disappeared in a flash of the movement of my left arm. She gasped, and her eyes started to water up, and she shook her head. Please, she said, don't mess with me. Not my mind. Not that. I spread my hands out to either side. Way of the world, Mary Lou. It's got to be done. Will I forget you? No, just certain information. Will I think of you differently? Will I wake up tomorrow thinking you're a swell guy, or will I still be allowed to think you're a deadbeat snob and a bully? I blinked. That's what you think? Mary Lou cleared her throat. 
I sighed and crossed my arms. Ask me a question, I said. She blinked and sniffled and looked confused. What? Ask me anything you want to know. You knew I was an odd duck before any of this happened. You had a sense that something wasn't right over dinner. You felt it for the first time when you knocked on my door that time years ago. You've been thinking about this, and you've probably got questions, so ask one. Mary Lou blinked again and drew a couple of short breaths. It was just me and her again, everyone else gone about the business I had assigned them after rearranging their minds to my advantage. Are you your grandfather? Are you the painter? I rolled my eyes. Yes, obviously, and that's so obvious it doesn't fucking count. Ask me a real question. She laughed all of a sudden and rubbed her hand across her face, looking around. Uh, she paused and said, will you paint a portrait of our family? No, I said. Too easy to fingerprint as mine. It'd be a chronological idiosyncrasy. We don't allow those. Again, too obvious. I leaned my fat ass against the back of her couch. Smiles was snuffling happily around the parquet floor in the entryway. Mary Lou thought for a few seconds, then drew herself up and looked me in the eye. When you drove away the one in the dining room, and when you made me come back inside, and when you went out around the neighborhood and checked every house, did you do that for our good, for theirs, or did you do that to protect your turf? Yes, I said. Yes, I did. I reached out to take her jaw in my left hand and forced her eyes to mine, but she stepped back. One more question. I paused. Don't you want a friend? I blinked at her and smiled just a tad. The corners of my mouth twisted up ever so slightly, my eyes half-lidded. Come on, I replied. Let's take a walk. It took us ten minutes to walk to my house, neither of us speaking the entire way. Smiles trotted along next to us, sniffing the curb and growling at the tracks of a downed walker here or there. Oh, I'm out of time. Well, okay, folks. I'll see you tomorrow night when we will finish part one of Perishables, the Vampire. See you then. Or talk to you then, anyway. I'm going to finish this wine. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. The theme music is Plucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution license at ccmixter.org.